and welcome to Wade In. It's a Monday morning. It's very early on Monday morning. We are bright and sparky. I have the normal team with me of Kevin Blake and Tony Calvin. We haven't had the racing weekend we hope to reflect on, but alas, we're going to jolly this show along anyway. Um, how are you, boys? Kevin, how are you? Great form, Vanessa. Look, as we've learned this season, it's, it's sometimes no harm when we have a, a complete uh, blank of racing because it means that next weekend will be even better. You know, this whole this whole less is more thing is working quite well this national season, I thought. Well, look at that flurry of excitement we had over Christmas due to the cold spell. And we were all exactly, in, yeah. like skipping along, <laughs> delighted with ourselves. What about yeah, you? But we're we're going to have a nine race car to Cheltenham next weekend. It's going to be brilliant. <laughs> It does look that way, yeah. How are you, TT? How did you cope with the cold spell? Yeah, yeah, it was a weekend of rugby, so I um, I just watched about eight European rugby matches, I think. But yeah, it's all good. Mind yeah. you, we're, we're recording this at um, at 7 o'clock on Monday morning. It's a good job it's dry January because I'd still been eating a kebab and polishing off the wine in the house if we were, <laughs> it was a normal Monday morning. <laughs> eating a kebab and polishing off the wine nice um well we should touch upon the whole weather situation over here in england we we even had more weather meeting called off that i was at i got paid full whack for a half day lads you missed that it was great <laughs> no, I, they should have done a wing canton and just carried on regardless well, I know there was a bit of controversy <laughs> over that. We're talking about freezing fog at Wolverhampton on Saturday night. Uh, but obviously the main meeting we lost was Ascot, Haydock, uh, Lingfield, all where the big jumps racing was this weekend. Very disappointing in fairness. Kevin's right. We are going to benefit from it this weekend coming. We had a load of questions on um, the sort of situation with frozen tracks and uh, rescheduling of meetings, including from the likes of Ben, who's asked about under soil heating, like the cost of that, considering um, some of these tracks, you know, are making plenty of money and surely at the bigger tracks like Cheltenham or Ascot, they can afford under soil heat heating Stuart has asked should race courses in England be more concerned about racing than they are about hospitality customers no reason Haydock and slash or Ascot couldn't have rearranged Saturday's fixtures for a dull midweek day this coming week but they won't because they crave the weekend slot Graham Daniel and Harry have also sent in questions including talking about the prize money for abandoned meetings there's a bit of uncertainty about what happens with that I think we have covered it on the show in the past but TC like what what can I don't think much can be done about the weather, surely. I mean, it's the old adage, you can't change the weather. No, it's like um the guy who said about undersoil heating. I, I don't think he's ever been to a racetrack, is he? Imagine trying to do that at Cheltenham. I don't think even the Ruben brothers have got enough money to uh, lay yeah. undersoil heating at Cheltenham. It's it's not like a football pitch, is it? Um no, we we've had various questions in um about uh, rescheduling races. Uh, a lot of people on social media over the weekend saying, look, let's just get Lingfield back on again. Um, and some people talking about uh, a Friday slot instead of the weather card. But you've got to feel sympathy for the for Lingfield. I mean, they built a business plan around that winter million uh, free days. And to lose the two main days, you can't expect them to just take all that prize money and put it on a Friday card where they haven't got, you know, they haven't got the kind of like the finances and the infrastructure to back that up. You can't expect a 165 grand fleur de lis uh, to be, you know, rescheduled for uh, for Friday at uh, Lingfield when nobody's going to be there and they can't obviously make the money back on crowds, etc. So I've got a lot of sympathy for, for racetracks. And we had a question about the Clarence House as well about, you know, 
about them reopening that race. And with, there's been a lot of discussion about that as well, because that's been rescheduled for Saturday at Ascot. Um, and, you know, and should that be rescheduled? Um, again, you, you've only got, it's reverting to the original entries, but the original entries are only eight. And so basically it's still going to be an Ergamine versus Edwardstone. And it's, people are going to be crossing their fingers that those two turn up, because if they don't, even though it's, again, reduced prize money, going to be, you know, it's going to be a bit of a damp squib, isn't it? Shouldn't really mention that phrase, should I? It's, it's quite quite funny, Vanessa, li- listening to one of the questions from the correspondents there about race courses prioritising hospitality over racing. Um, a, a thought did come into my head. I wonder, how, I'm not sure if it's ever happened, I wonder how far away we are from when we get a, a racing cancellation like this that a race course decides just to kick on anyway and hold the event and invite the public in and you know if there's racing on elsewhere put it up on big screens and see, try and proceed run regardless because we, 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 we often joke about the Saturday crowds that you know you could run you could run seven donkey derbies up the track and they wouldn't really care because they're there for the there for the beer yeah. and the crack uh, I wonder will a race course attempt it at some stage because they could I wouldn't put it past them Winter Millie on it in the first place because obviously they just went alone and they just put on their own meeting, didn't they? No, but he's yeah, talking about not having they have no racing, no racing on the track. As it's in, like the, off. Ra- the racing's oh. off, but yeah. everyone through the doors anyway. Yeah, let the let the public in anyway. Oh, and, uh, see how see how see how many if you pre bought tickets. I bet you a whole heap will still turn up. They'll still, but they'll still buy beer. They'll still do their thing. We've had some late abandonments where they've gone ahead with the lunches and the and kept the bars open, haven't they? And yeah, shown football and stuff on the TV. So yeah. Well, all joking aside, I presume that like on Saturday at Wolverhampton when it was cancelled halfway through, surely everyone there still stayed until after, I presume, what would have been the last race, like having their meal or whatever. They're not going to chuck people out at that point, are they? Um, But anyway, let's move on. We do have some racing to discuss, mainly from Ireland this weekend. And also we have week three of Footsteps to the Festival, which we're battling on through. Um, Champion Bumper had... Battling on through. (laughs) <laughs> that thing yeah. untrue the enthusiasm levels <laughs> well I, I actually just meant that in relevance to the fact that last week we were talking about those novice chasers we've got no idea what's going anywhere we've got, we've got, we've got the right air chase this week Vanessa <laughs> well that's true that is very true right um, before we get to week three of Footsteps of the Festival which I have huge enthusiasm for <laughs> Um, let's talk about the new champion bumper favourite because it's for me won the Navin bumper in fine form is a winning pointer now winning bumper horse two from two won't anyone seen him um, he's four to one favourite from tens for the champion bumper it's a stupid question Kevin were you impressed because how could you not be but does he deserve to be at the top of the champion bumper market yeah, Asher probably deserves to be up there, Vanessa. Like the, the champion bumper isn't the race it used to be. We, we all know this. Um, Willie's going to have a very strong hand. Um, this fella kind of jumped up and, and slapped you in the face, didn't he? In terms of the visuals, time seemed perfectly fine. Um, and yeah, look, at it. like Willie will have sorted out his ones. You know, he seems, they, they seem to hold, hold this one in quite high regard. And, um, and, and that counts for plenty. It's a little bit boring, but. That's the reality of the race nowadays. Um, and he, lo- he looks to be certainly entitled to be up there amongst the, the best of them. Now, what I think is an absolute good thing based on that, not so much, but 
you can understand why people are getting excited. Were you getting excited, TC? Were you one of those people? No, I don't really bet in bumpers, but, I, but it does underline what just a phenomenal run Sweden, um, Unir are having with their horses yes. they got with Mullins. I think, was that 11 out of the last 12 or 10 out of the last 11 runners of all, of all one? Um, no wonder why they've gone over there. Not, I'm not so, I'm not so, not so sure about their double green moniker. <laughs> <laughs> but, but isn't it, isn't it bad though? It's another example of it. Like people talk about, oh, you know, why has this divide um, grown between Ireland and Britain in terms of national hunt performance? And like one of the things was always, oh, you know, British-based owners sending their horses to Ireland, and like now you have this example. You know, th- this ownership team had horses all over England for an awful long time. And now they've made, you know, one change by, by, by sending horses to Willie. And they're just all of a sudden the whole thing has a different shine on it. So yeah. you, you can see you can see why this has happened. You can see why it's probably going to continue happening. And yeah. um, it's a difficult thing to because um, nothing else has changed. Um, I assume Anthony Bromley is, is you know, is, was doing the buying still very much is doing the buying and um yeah it's just the man the man training them it's the thing that's changed and the results have very much changed yeah i mean you can't argue with those results can you um let's move on to Turles on sunday uh alagor davasi we will start with her she won the grade two at a very competitive hugh carhill loving price of one to eight um <laughs> <laughs> I bet he shat the bed after the first, didn't he? I bet you he did, as did Paul Town and Paul Lad. Um, yeah, after that first fence blunder, and she jumps far from straight, Kevin. But obviously, she is still up there in the betting for the mayor's chase. She's now 13 to 8 from 7 to 4, though, after that performance. Um, like we have spoken about this on the pod in the past. That mare's chase is going to be competitive. There's horses in there with plenty of jumping experience. And the way she jumps, heading to Cheltenham, I love her, but I'm nervous. The mare's chase. You have to love it, don't you? Um, yeah, look, she, she obviously took Paul by surprise at the first. Like She didn't make a big mistake as such. She just kind of disappeared out from under him and jumped out to her right and she did much, pretty much the exact same thing at the second, but Paul was ready for it and, and coped just fine. Um, but yeah, he would have been fairly mortified if he came off, I'd say. Um, not the first time she's gone to her right. Um, she could have been seen doing it a couple of times over hurdles even. Um, not so much on the chasing debut, but like it's a team with her. If you go back and watch all her races, she just gets a little bit kind of big and wild at the first couple, even over hurdles. Like she's way up in the air. She did it on her chasing debut as well. Very airy. And they just flattened out as the race went. Um, Willie mentioned that he hadn't given her a school during the week and he was pointing to that maybe but I'd say there are things you can do preparation wise at home to try and take some of that initial freshness out of her um, mm. because that, that, has, that has been a consistent thing with her um, look once she got going she, she was fine she kind of flattened out as the race went um, still was out to her right a little bit which would have to be a concern going to Cheltenham you know we talk about it all the time it's consistently underrated um, the impact that that can have around Cheltenham, you know, because you can you can see it at other tracks, but it really gets accentuated at Cheltenham because it's always on the turn, etc. And and look, she was good. We know she's we know she's talented. We know she could probably compete in something like the Turners, um, if she was pointed that way. But now we have the existence of this utterly stupid race, um, where you know talented novices are now being rerouted for an easier option. Um, she'll be taking on more experienced rivals, the likes of. 
you know, Scarlet and Dove, who, who that race was probably created with in mind rather than, you know, progressive novices. But um, yeah, it's there. It's probably going to stay there for the time being. And um, yeah, a bit, bit of a heart attack at the first, but look, there was no depth in this race. Um, and she, she truly didn't have to go off the bridle thereafter. But the jumping to her right in particular would be a bit of a concern for me taking her forward to travel. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Kevin's like passive aggressive hatred towards the mayor's chase is terrific. Just like it's not that passive, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, it could. Yeah, I, for me, it is a little just, bit. Just, just a bit. Um, you can probably tell by my tone of it. I'm just uh, slightly jaded about the whole moaning about national hunt racing because it's the same really every season. Like you, you could just put me on repeat. It's just it's very tedious. I even find it tedious. So the poor our listeners must be very sick of it. But anyway, the points remain, unfortunately. TC, are you excited about seeing her in the mayor's chase? <laughs> um, don't care really. Um, the God, pet- guys, <laughs> come on! Well, what, no, the only th- I, I know we. The only thing I would add there: a text I got early this morning. And they knew we were coming in early. They said about Alagudavasi. This is. I'll read it out. The town in recovery, love, should be balanced by the fact that he should never have allowed himself to be in that position in the first place. So I'll just leave that there. All right. Who is that from, TC? No idea. No idea. <laughs> it's from a withheld number. I get quite a lot of them. Yeah, I think she she very much did take him by surprise, I'd say. Like, because if you watch it, like for me, she did the exact same thing at the second fence as she did at the first. Um, just a case of being ready for it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what about Embassy Gardens then, TC? Uh, he obviously won the three-mile novice on the same card for the Mullins team again. Goes um, quite high up in the betting for the Albert Bartlett. He's now sevens from 20s for that race. Um, this was quite impressive, I thought. Yeah, it's another one of these wide-margin races that it's difficult to get a handle on. Um, haven't seen any time analysis of the race. But if you are going in for the Albert Bartlett, it's similar comments apply, really. we Obviously, they've got op- other options with a horse, uh, presumably, and it's owned by uh, the sponsors of the Ballymore. So whether or not they'll want to drop down in trip uh, to take on their own race, uh, we shall see. But yeah, another very promising horse that's difficult to get a handle on. Yeah, fair comments. Uh, to, um, Kevin, any, anything to add there before we move on to Footsteps of the Festival? No, not particularly. Um, race went to bits. Uh, I think it's probably fair to say um, main rivals just ran terribly. Um, so the way he went, um, the you know, the comment about you know the sponsor, um, you know, maybe wanting to go for Ballymore is, is is seemingly valid. But this is Willie Mullins. He'll do what he wants, <laughs> regardless of what the owner, regardless of what the owner wants to do. Um, so yeah, watch this space as as with all these novice herders and chasers of Willie Mullins and Vanessa. Um, wait until about probably five five minutes after the declarations. Um, yeah. Before you, you, you're uh, there's any great certainty. Just imagine these Willie conversations. Sorry, who are you again? Oh, no, no. oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Uh, let's talk about Footsteps of Festival because we will slot in Fakir Duderi's performance in the grade two here because, of course, we are going to talk about the Ryanair because we are on day three of Cheltenham looking at it from the anti-post point of view with this series. So we've got the Ryanair, the Stairs Hurdle and the Turners to get through today. The Ryanair, we will start with seven to four, Alaho, Blue Lord, Shishkin and Fakir Duderi's 12 to 1 
conflated 12 to 1 Gallop into Champs, 14 to 1 Shaq and Poussoir, Pick Dory, 16. Oh, if he goes. Um, but let's start with you, Kevin, and we'll pick up the Fakir performance because obviously we saw him win the, win the grade two, but really only because of the last fence departure of Horton Colers. Um, and Shakan looks completely well. And and actually, sorry, I was going to say Shakan looked gone at the game, but he was disappointing again. Um, so Fakir sort of won despite that. Could we expect to see him in the Ryanair? It sounds like they'll just run scared of Alho, which doesn't doesn't seem fun sport. <laughs> um, well, yeah, he's seen enough of Alho over the years. I think um, you know, if Alho is still Alho, um, Fakir wouldn't have any business really. But um, like, look, I know the, the general consensus was that he was probably going to finish second here. Um, I think he would have made a good goal of it, and he might well have won um, had the other fella stood up. Um, like he, he got quite badly outpaced turning in, and to me, he was winding up. But I know JJ thought the same. He was winding up into a run, and you know he's ultimately jumped the last, you know, down on French Dynamite, and he's finished six lengths in front of him in the end. I think he would have rattled home. Um, whereas I, I'm not really, I couldn't really, based on his form, I couldn't really be certain how much whole Uncle Lowers would have found. So I wouldn't like to be completely dismissing um, Fakir that, that he might have won anyway. But anyway, I'm in the minority there and people will say I'm biased. That's fine. Um, but look, Tarlis isn't really his track. Um, you know, this this is really just kind of a stop along the way um, to get back to the Betfair Ascot chase, um, a, a race that seems to suit him really well, course and distance, etc. Um, and that would very much be the next stop, all being well. Um, and then, yeah, sure, look, I'm, I'm sure he'll be left in the Ryanair until late. If Alaho wasn't turning up, um, there might be a temptation. That'll be one for, for Frank and JP to decide closer to the time. Um, I, I guess, in fairness to the horse, like he has run well at Cheltenham a number of times. Um, it's just he, he happened to bump into Alaho the last time he went there. And sure, look, he, we know he's probably on his day, probably, if not the best horse in training, he's certainly one of them. Um, and if he wasn't turning up, you, you you might just be tempted. But other than that, it, it'd be, you know, big red circle around Aintree, which, which everyone knows he loves and has a great record around there. So that's the crack. Look, he's, he's probably odds on to go ask it on to Aintree. But if Alaho didn't turn up, um, the JP team would, would have something to think about, I suspect. Excuse okay, me. well then, um, looking at the Ryanair as then we're in footsteps of the festival, uh, we're taking Fakir out then on the basis of what you've just said. Who yeah, if- leave leave him in, but um, I wouldn't uh, if if you'd want to be getting maybe non runner, no better non runner yeah. money back or whatever if you were if you were getting involved or okay. a very very big price for your trouble. And what, TC, who in this race is jumping out the page at you? Obviously, Alaho, whether we see him and if he shows up here, it's just a different, it's hard to know, isn't it, with the Mullins team, his well being at this point now? A bit like the Stayers. Um, this race is a bit of a mess, anti post wise. Um, obviously, you've got Blue Lord, second favourite, but, you know, is he going to go, is he going to go champion chase? Dublin Race Investor will decide all there. Chiskin spurred favourite. I know there are excuses. We had the bone issue after Cheltenham and, you know, the displaced pallet after the poor run in the Tingle Creek. But would you be wanting to back him at sixes? I know he's bigger on the exchange. You've got, you know, we've got the lights of conflated. Um, he's going to sound like he's, you know, the owners don't want to go for his own race. They want to go for the Gold Cup. There's loads of question marks in here, but I just came down to the fact that, I mean, forgive me if, if this is... Um, 
this has been well 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 documented elsewhere but i've never heard it before um but Alaho is going straight to the festival uh, by the sounds of it but and his first time out record gives you loads and loads of uh, ammo if you want to oppose him now he's currently 2.92 on the exchange it's quite an illiquid market but i think if you can lay him at two to one at this stage i think it's really interesting i'll just read out his first time out record uh my memory is not what it was so sorry for reading this he was beaten on his debut in 2018. He was fourth in his bumper on his first start for Willie Mullins at 11 to 8. He was beaten first time out in 2019. He was sixth in the John Durkin first time out in the 2020. And while he won that race in 2021, you remember that was the race where Asterian Falange looked to be pissing up and trading at freeze on uh, when he came down free out. So Alho's first time out record gives you a lot of credence that he needs his first run. It could well be a very stuffy horse that needs it. And he's a big brute of a horse, isn't he? Uh, and and Willie could change, you know, could change his training regime to mirror the fact that he is going to Cheltenham first time out and he needs to be absolutely cherry ripe. So second we all know Willie Mullins is, you know, record with with horses of long absences going to the festival, or at least some of them. But you know, that first time out record for Alaho, given that the doubts and the, the problems he's already had, I mean, you'd be a brave man to bet all in at this stage around about two to one or even less uh, at fixed odds. So I think the angling to the race with so many doubts, maybe I might I might just go up at the front of the queue at 2.94 after this and, and see if I get any nibbles. And even if I take my medicine and get out 11 to 8, uh, uh, even money on the day um, and take a, take a loss there and have the next seven weeks and seven weeks running for me, uh, I think I'll play it that way. But yeah, the Alan Ho first time out record gives, will give you you know, pause for thought if you're looking about getting stuck in now on the favourite. Alaho is a bit mad, isn't he? He's not mad, but the situation is a bit mad, Vanessa, in that if in a different set of circumstances, like this horse would have started this season as short price foul for the Gold Cup, wouldn't he? Yeah. After what he, like people forget, do people forget what he did at Punchestown over in Dream Miles? Like he smashed, you know, the best thing chases around to a great extent. Like absolutely, like destroyed him. Like Clandis Oval, Al Boom, Photo, Kemboy, all, all those horses that have been banging away at, at the top of the staying chase division for years, and he's absolutely destroyed them. And like I alluded to earlier, like in the Ryanair the last couple of years, he's looked, you know, possibly the best horse in training. Yeah. And um, yeah, we're gonna if if we see him at Cheltenham, it'll be straight to the Ryanair where he scares off pretty much everything. He'll be you know, four to seven or whatever shorter, maybe. And um, and he'll probably have a victory lap because, like TC says, that the, the the record refresh is valid, but it, it's it's probably not a hundred percent applicable to this unless it's a real rush job, um, yeah. because Willie would be would will be really tightening the screws for well, Cheltenham, which he wouldn't be doing, you know, in in December or whatever. But yeah, yeah you, just, you, just, you, you, yeah, you just you just you yeah you just you I don't want to say Alaho has been wasted, but. He could have. He could have been. He could have been more, couldn't he? Uh, that's what I've said. Uh, <laughs> let's move on to the stairs hurdle, guys, because we've got to, we've got good stuff to get through later on in the show with our topics too. Um, Home by the Lee is 130 favourite. Who would have thought that? Tiupu is seven to one, second best. Paisley Park in there at eight. Tens Ashdale, Bob Blazing, Carhill unlikely to get there at this stage. Classical Dream, St. Samson, and the prices 14 to one bar those names. Um, Kev, only place to start is with you. This horse who's just seemingly improved and improved and improved and got the winning thread now. Um, who's like, he didn't run a bad race in the race last year. 
yet he seems a different horse this year. And so he's a worthy favourite against those sort of uh, horses I've rattled off there, all with valid question marks next to their name, unlike him, for me anyway. Yeah, like, like I don't actually know how much he's improved. He's improved a bit, but like he was always, you know, well capable. You know, he was well up in the 150s. You know, he was, he was nearly a 150 chaser despite hate, hating chasing. And he was a 150 harder coming into this season. But uh, really the improvement was last time. You know, I've talked about it a couple of times now, but that was his first time in an awful long time where he, he laid up in a race and travelled. And he probably ended up getting to the front a little bit too soon as a result. But he still managed to gut it out. Stays really well. Look, if, if this is the new him, and it's always a little bit dangerous to assume that, you know, everything has changed based on one run. But if he can do that again at Cheltenham, uh, he must have a super chance. Like, it might be slightly more difficult to execute at Cheltenham because I'd say... He, the, the view, the long-standing view with him is that he always appreciated a, a little bit of space in his races. Um, and, you know, if you watch back last year's Sayers Hurdle, you, you'll see that in action. You know, he, he doesn't really like being crowded and he can't back out of it when he is. So, look, if, if he can travel that bit better, get up and out of trouble, um, he must have a great chance because this race is, is melting away to an extent. You know, Florian Porter has had a setback. And Gavin Cromwell was very cagey talking about him yesterday. Didn't want to say much either way, but the horses clearly had an issue. You know, we're we're less than two months away. It's it's not ideal. And um, Blazing Cal, they seem to be well. Who knows? <laughs> you know what you're told and what the reality is. You never quite know with Charles Burns, but um, they seem to be struggling with him. Mm. And uh, like you look down the list, then and how many are you afraid well, of? You know, yeah, Tia exactly. You know. How well does he stay? I don't know. You know, Paisley Park, we know he could do it, but he's, um, as Dan Barber would say, nearly old enough to smoke. Um, mm. And and yeah, like this looks a, a pretty winnable stairs hurdle. And based on what he did last time, home by the Lee has to be has to be the one up the top of the market. That um, you know, but you know, if he's five in the day, Vanessa, I doubt I'd be revving people up and giving them loads of encouragement just because you don't know until you know, and he's going to go straight there. Um, and you don't know if he's going to do the, replicate what he did last time in terms of how he travels. If you if you could know that somehow with certainty, you'd be really happy. But for me, you know, maybe being a bit pessimistic, uh, I want to see I want to see it again. But um, if he was to do that, he'd, he'll yeah he'll take beating hopefully. Okay, well yeah, I think it's a sketchy enough stairs hurdle, um, TC. And where did you land in the race at this point with these prices that we currently have? Yeah, just just before I I actually I actually backed one yesterday uh, after looking at the race in some depth. But yeah, I mean, like I said, it's it's there's loads of question marks in this race. I mean, Saint Sam, you know, he could be the improver, but I'm not so he hasn't ever raced over uh, further than extended two mile three, so I'll have my doubts about his stamina. It'd be just really like Sagar held, he's got five entries um for Cheltenham, it'd be just his kind of angle to actually get Segerhard in here. I'd be interested to see what price he would go if Willie said, yeah, we're going to go stairs, stay over hurdles. Um, Gilino Bello, uh, we had a question on that. You know, apparently it might be going to, we haven't got the Cheltenham decks for Saturday, obviously, but people were saying Gilino Bello back over hurdles. It's a load of question marks. I mean, uh, Flor- uh, the sports book actually pushed Florian Porter out to 20s um, on 
I think it was the shortest eight and tens elsewhere to 20s on Saturday. So I don't know what they heard. They've been nibbled in a bit to 16, so that was fascinating. There's just loads of question marks about the race. You've mentioned Blazing Carl. There was another one in here as well. Classical Dream. Some very weak vibes about that. Um, anyway, cut to the chase. I back Kevin will love this actually. I actually backed Dashiell Drasher 28 to 1. Oh! <laughs> money, uh, non runner money back. Now, he, I think he's going to go for this race. And when you have a look at it, in the race full of doubts, and there's no standout form wise in here, I mean, people talk about Blazing Carl, even if he gets these, he's only rated 147, and Dashiell Drasher's rated higher. I know he's older, he's a 10 year old, but just look at his body of work. I mean, he's finished. Second to Noble Yates, Gold Cup, second or third favourite in the many clouds over a three-mile one. He came up to two-mile four over Hurdles last time and rang Marie's Rock uh, second there. And he had good horses in behind the lights of First Street. And incidentally, Marie's Rock ran here. She'd probably, uh, she'd probably be favourite. She'd be fav, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, I love you, Marie's He's won at Cheltenham. Obviously, the Cheltenham uh, real key run there. I mean, the, the actual entry run appeased a few doubts in my mind that a three miles is what he wants. But for a horse that probably needs further, that run in the rail kill is probably a career best. Um, and he's just, a, he's just a very, very solid horse. Um, I know it's difficult to go from the front, but the likes of Cole Harden have done it in this kind of race. Now, I thought Dashiell Drasher was, you know, the archetypal, unsexy 10-year-old who's probably <laughs> a lot left in the tank. But if he runs his race, I mean... In a very flaky race, 20, 28 to one money, uh, not money, money back. You get there, and if you want to, if you want to chance it, he's forty on the exchange at the time of recording. No, I think Dashiell Drasher each way in the race is, is the way to play it. Okay, just just go just go fishy fishy. Sorry, Vanessa, just go on a fishy fishy there, starting from the bottom of the market, working my way up, try you know, trying to you find, find a find mad one, yeah, a mad one. Um, well, a steering for a launch be completely mad if it turns out. Oh Jesus! <laughs> it's the it's the only it's the only entry he's been given. Really? Um, I tell you what, Kevin, wait until the day when Ahoy Senor gets supplemented on five days. Yeah, I tell you what, they missed the beat not giving him an entry. Oh, but um, it's the only entry he's give, they've given him. I wouldn't have mentioned it otherwise because we know Willie kind of enters up everything. But it's the only entry he's got. Um, that we know how it. talented he is. We know, look, he, he he does his thing, obviously, jumping jumping the way he does, but he has run very well at Cheltenham um, on a couple of occasions, despite, you know, one assuming that going the other way around probably suits him better. But, like, he's very talented. Like, he's like a mid-160. I mean, that, that's what the stairs, <laughs> the, the stairs hurdle is all about, a horse like him. It's like horses who have engines, who can win races, but then for various reasons, they can't, like, be a top-grade chaser. So they end up in the stairs hurdle, and then you, this is why it's this is why it's always a race that's just got so many sort of question marks, and it makes uh, you very tentative because they've all they're all a bit like quirky, essentially. Um, we need the Constellation Festival, we should start calling this meeting. We need to move <laughs> on. The Turners, the Turners, uh, the novices chased over the two miles four uh, on the Thursday as well. We have Mighty Potter up at the top of the market at three to one. A horse both me and Kevin Blake love. Hopefully we'll get to see him over the same trip at Leperstown during the Dublin Racing Festival, where I think he's the favourite for that as well. Um, appreciate it. Seven to two. James de Burley, six to one. Both of those two horses obviously have different... Uh, 
could potentially go shorter or longer. Um, 10 to 1 journey with me. So Gerhard, the aforementioned same price. 12 to 1 Bambridge for Joseph. Dysart Dynamo and El Fabiolo all in their 20s bars. That, um, Kev, I'll start with you just because we love this horse, Mighty Potter. And I just want to keep, I want to see him keep progressing. He's a gorgeous looking individual and I I want him to win this basically. <laughs> Yeah, I love a bit of Potter. Um, yeah, like, and they've options with him. Like it'll be interesting to see now if he goes in um, in twelve days' time or what have you there over the mid range trip. Because like my view of them watching him over fences is that he'd be well able to come back and trip if they wanted. And like Gordon has always campaigned him like a horse that he felt had plenty of pace. Um, yeah. You know, even even as even as a novice hurdler, there was kind of widespread assumptions that he'd go up and trip, and and he never did. And and Gordon was always saying like he's he's not short of pace, not short of pace. Look, he surely stays last time, but for me, like he, even looking back on on my notes, it was last run here. Like they were clearly setting out to kind of restrain him and try to ride him with, with a bit of and not make the running basically. And watching the horse, to me, he wanted to attack his fences. And he was being reined back after every jump. And, you know, he ended up getting, getting one wrong in the end. It was the, maybe the fourth last or the third last. He wasn't super at, a little bit too low. Um, but he ultimately won very well. And if they were to go mid-range trip with him, you just love to see some out tearaway front runner in there just to put pace in the race and um, make him an easier ride. But it, but he could he could do either way trip-wise. He could go two, he'd go two and a half. Um, but either way, Vanessa, he's one of the very best novice chasers around in my mind. And um, I think we'll see an even better version of him next time um, in terms of his jumping. So, yeah, I, I'd be all about Mighty Potter. Yeah, me too. What about quick word for Bambridge from you? Is Would this be his trip or do we expect him to see him in a different race at Cheltenham? He'll go in the Irish Arkle, um in whatever that is, 12 days time. Um, better ground is going to be the key to him. Um, I think he showed at Cheltenham that this minimum trip isn't an issue, really. Um, he clearly does stay further, as we saw when he won um, over two and a half at Cheltenham last season. But um, I wouldn't be surprised now if the Irish Arkle kind of removes any major questions as to what trip he wants to go. Um, the option will remain like he has the entry. And because this is the way the program is set out, it allows you the option of, of a late switcheroo if that, if that's, if that suits um, be it opposition or whatever, he could do either job, but I, I wouldn't be too worried about him coming back down and trip. The, the ground is the main key. We just wouldn't wouldn't want rain for him um, either in two weeks or in seven weeks. Okay. Um, TC, you're going to make it the treble for Mighty Potter nods here? Yeah. Um, oh. I, I, I probably would have him as the most likely winner. Whether I'll be backing him, given that Cheltenham blowout last year, is a doubt in your mind. But yeah, I was... I think that that win last time was very very solid. In fact, on the exchange at the moment, appreciate is the favourite. He's he's been the mover. It wouldn't have taken much money. He's been the mover in the market uh, from second favourite for the Arkle to to favourite for this kind of race again, which underlines what Kevin said about too many races, too many opportunities. Um, and you can see why because if any of the Mullins to uh, Arkle candidates and he's got Dice Up Dynamite, El Fabiole, Santoir. Flame bearer. Uh, this is the horse who's probably the most likely to appreciate the step up in trip out of those five. Um, one is bumper over two mile four. Um, we know he's a class horse. So yeah, I can see the angle there, but you know, 
what he, what he's done over fences so far, who knows? It's very uncompetitive races, but he's been the mover. Um, what else have I got on the race? Um, I thought James de Burley was pretty electric first time out. Again, you'll, you'll know more about where he's going to go. He could go three miles, given that second to classical dream at Punchestown a couple of years ago. One I did like at a price was uh, Laura Morgan's Lofter uh, Rocco, who uh, finished a close second to Giuliano Bello first time up uh, and then won over two mile four at Leicester. But just having a dig around, it sounds like the owner and the trainer want to go for the Browns rather than this. But um, I'll be interested in Lofter Rocco because, again, he's, I think his form has taken on a whole new level over fences. But um, it's one to back on the day wherever he goes Lofter and Rocco but yeah uh, I would agree Mighty Potter was my idea the most likely winner but I wouldn't have a bet at this stage Yeah and just, just on his run at Cheltenham last year like for me the horse just wasn't right I, I, I fancied him in the Supreme Novice last year I was watching him very closely and after a hurdle I wasn't happy like he seemed to be hanging and he, he just didn't seem himself like and I'd say I don't think any I don't know if any ever really came back but um, he, he just looked like something was physically wrong with him from the get go. So I don't, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to kind of say, oh, the track is a question mark or that. I just think the horse was wrong um, for whatever reason. I, I know you're all over him for the super. I can't remember. Did you, uh, did you back him out when he won at Punchestown at 20s next time up? No. He looks so wrong at Cheltenham. Like if you watch it back, like he's hanging like a gate. And he just looked highly uncomfortable. Um, so I, I thought it was amazing that Gordon got him back to to, to that at Punchestown. But yeah, there you go. Nice to be belatedly vindicated um, and belatedly frustrated. <laughs> right, lads. Um, let's move on to some of the week's talking points. We've got a few to get through. We will start with the Danny Brock case because he's been given a 15-year ban um, for part of his part in a betting conspiracy. Basically, he's found guilty of engaging in corrupt and fraudulent practices by stopping two horses running on their merits. Um, this is a messy, messy case. He's been given 15 years. He didn't show up to the hearing, um, so he wasn't there to fight his case, so to speak. Um, obviously, he's now working in the Greyhound world, and I think we're expecting the Greyhound board to have something to say about his current role in that sport as well, given, obviously, um, the similarities between horse racing and Greyhound racing. So 15-year ban from horse racing, Kevin, for Danny Brock. Um, because of those fraudulent practices, mainly based around, well, one of the races, of course, is that infamous two-runner race at Southall. Um, What did you make of his ban? Do you think it's fair? He's obviously not happy, and I should say that he might still appeal, so we should bear that in mind. Um, But he wasn't even there to fight his case, and he got 15 years. Yeah, and look, I know, look, it isn't it's never cheap to defend yourself in these situations, but you, I don't think you can complain about a punishment if you're not going to go in and defend yourself. Even, even I should say, sorry, your, he maintains that he has done nothing wrong. He's saying... Oh, yeah, he can maintain whatever he wants. But, <laughs> you know, the, 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 it's the BHA um, that, that decide the rights and wrongs here and dish out the punishments. And, uh, and they've dished out a severe punishment. Um dare I say, a refreshingly severe punishment. We've seen some cases there in racing that um, the widespread opinion would have been that there should have been, you know, talk of life bans or certainly very severe penalties like this, and they weren't dished out. So, um, like, he, he he's out of the sport now. And 
when one reads the evidence um, and looks back at some of the races, particularly that two runner race um, at Suttle, and you, you see the, the the underlying betting evidence that they drew from that and the activity of those involved. And um, look, it is, you know, I suppose it's, impo- it's important to say that in these cases, um, those that are judging them are doing so on the balance of probabilities rather than beyond reasonable doubt. Um, so when you put together all the pieces, you wouldn't need to be Sherlock Holmes to, to take the view that all was not right here. And uh, and that, that two-runner race just looked an absolute shocker, didn't it? You know, I think all of us that, that have a bet and, and approach the game with um, the cynicism it warrants much of the time, you know, you see something like that and you're like, yeah, they've just they've just taken a liberty there massively. And um, and look, it's the unfortunate thing is in in our game, um, both sides of the IRC, it just takes so long to sort these things out. And I'm not I'm not saying that it's easy, um, or that it should be a quick process in terms of the, the level of rigor. But God, it takes so long, um, so long. And we, we've seen it recently with the the Ronan McNally case at this side of the water, just taking years and years to get these things sorted out. And the people involved are, are essentially free to carry on um, with, with it hanging over them. Um, and yeah, look, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a severe punishment, but it was a severe case. And it's it's somewhat, it's hard to read it because it's one of those when I see say, I, I was going to say, you know, thankfully these cases are relatively rare now compared that they seem to happen with a bit more frequency back, you know, over a decade ago, 15 years ago, onset of the exchanges, et cetera. But it's one of those that just because we aren't seeing cases coming to uh, coming, coming up for assessment that they aren't happening. I think people are probably a little bit, a little bit wiser in terms of covering their tracks, et cetera. But um, it was good to see that, the, that these guys clearly took a liberty um, based on the evidence in, in my view, and they've got heavily punished for doing so. Yeah, heavy punishment indeed. And I don't think anyone's going to complain about that. It's not the sort of practices we want anywhere near our sport, TC. I think you can concur with that. Yeah, it's just, they're just, obviously doing this, they're doing it in two runner races. I I won't go on about the backing versus laying argument, but, you know, what surprises me is this story is not as big as it was. Ten years ago, this would have been huge. This would have been, you know, outside of the racing mainstream, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, well, they've obviously been, they've just gone down the Betfair route. But as it's a, as it's a two-runner race, I'm not having it at all that these people have just done all their betting exclusively on Betfair, the exchange or the sports book. I mean, you can walk into any bet, it's a two-runner race is backing versus laying in its purest form. I It will be absolutely staggered if these people haven't gone down bookmakers and betting shops, etc., because it, it's the most easiest thing to do, isn't it? I mean, you're just passing up free money if you don't have a bet in every avenue that's available to you. And I don't know whether other bookmakers have opened their books as well. But, yeah, it's clearly a bad case. That that Samovar versus Tricky Dicky is as blatant as it gets. But, you know, we accept, you know, we all use terminology when we, when we you know, talk on TV and write about racing, you know, about, you, you know, just dance around the fact that horses aren't off a lot of the time, etc. But you know, this clearly crosses a line. They were very stupid in the way they went about maximizing the, the financial benefits of knowing one of them was a non-jigger. Uh and yeah, and, and they got rightly done for it. Um yeah, there's nothing much to say. It, it, it looks a, a clear, you know, 
Clear cut case. Yeah, clear cut case. Um, let's move on to our favourite topic. Uh, aside from the mayor's chase, the whip, uh, we get to discuss uh, week one of the bedding in period for the new whip rules and just a bit of data. Basically, loads of data was sort of thrown out there from week one. Um, we've got 44 referrals to the whip review committee and 43 potential offences using the new guidance. Um, that's in the first week involving that's from 84 races involving 645 rides, 168 individual jockeys. We're looking at 43 potential offences using the new guidance in the first week alone, Kevin. In including um, one DQ, potential DQ. Sorry, yeah, including one. Yeah. I haven't got much to add on this, but the one I would say it was the, the, the disqualification was Thomas Wilmot on a horse called To The Limit. Would you, could you make it even up? No, you couldn't. <laughs> um, there's loads more data. It's available, uh, uh, widely available, um, loads more facts and figures. But that's the sort of bottom line bit that is interesting. The fact that there could be, you know, in the new rule guidance, Kevin, we're looking at 43 offences in week one. Um, still a bit of a work, still some work to do, I think it's fair to say. I'm not entirely sure where to, I don't know I don't know I mean I was shocked I was shocked by the numbers I think that's the starting point I was shocked by the numbers yeah I think most people would have been I certainly was um yeah it's a lot and I wonder I wonder um have the, the steering committee and everyone else etc I wonder how they kind of are they safe to themselves oh lord what have we what a burden have we put on our own shoulders here in terms of sorting this out uh, they obviously would have been hoping that compliance was high um, and look, I know there is a difference between a bedding in and, and a live situation. And, you know, be going live will certainly concentrate minds. But, ooh, yeah, that was um, that was not the level of compliance you would have been hoping for. Um, and I, I was I would have made, uh, you know, a DQ situation, um, hypothetical DQ situation arising a, a big old price, <laughs> if I'm honest, yes. to, uh, to, have, to have popped up. So, yeah, yeah, I, I can only imagine now there'll be kind of a stern talking to uh, coming into this week um, amongst the PGA for these lads to, um, hey, come here, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is coming. You, you might not like it. None of us might like it, but it's coming. Yeah. And uh, you, you're, you're going to need to sort yourselves out, lads, or this is going to be mayhem. Well, it's not. It's coming quickly as well. The going live starts on the 6th of Feb. So, like, we're not that far away. <laughs> Well, look, the thing is, the thing is, Vanessa, you know, as as upset as we all are about it, and as disappointing as it is, look, this couldn't have been avoided. This this had to happen. This situation, they had to come down hard in this whip. They had to be as harsh as they were. There was no other option other than to clamp down on the scourge that is the whip. Doing nothing was not an option. So there's no point in us saying anything about oh, it's a pity this is happening because it had to happen, Vanessa. There was no other option. With no other option. We had to. We had to do it. The, the only two things I'll add before we move on is that this that 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 ban that disqualification would have happened. That was it hit the horse twelve times, and that's at Kelso. And, you, know, and, you know they must be looking at Cheltenham and thinking, "What have we done here?" And, and also, wait, wait, those savage Irish amateurs come over and start giving them twenty five round the saddle to get to get home in the fox hunters. <laughs> Sorry, not calling the fox hunters anymore. And I'm not, I'm not sold on the fact that we, we're going to be told about the whip rules every every week. It just, it, it, it just uh, about the whip bands and trans. 
every week it just reeks of in, the sports insecurity no, no, I know. Why do we do this to ourselves? Why we we did this to ourselves? Yeah, we did this to ourselves. It's like a form of self harm. It's like a form of self harm. Self self flagellation. We get, we literally got the cat on nine tails. We're just doing that. We're just. Oh, we Why not? Um, Why do we do want this? to give a quick mention to Nightline <laughs> being rated the same as Frankel? This is. Imagine being the type that gets excited about this. Okay. No, not excited. Not excited. Upset. Oh, but, lads, okay, come well, on. This seems like a no from everyone on this show, but just so any listeners, if anyone missed it, Flightline got a rating of 140 in the world's best racehorse rankings, and that is the same rating as Frankel got. Uh, big do in London, big reveal. Everyone over from America, Flightline team, great showing from them. Everyone post-race very upset about the fact that he's been rated the same as Frankel. Um, um, but it the- did the job, it, it, you know, talk about good PR they got themselves being talked about bravo best world's best racehorse rankings team because no, it's, it's just quite funny Vanessa because we kind of frame this process as being you know the the um you know the the, the, the greatest numbers men in the game sitting down in the room together objectively hammering these things out for the for the historical record of, of our great breed and uh, this, this is just another example of an absolute fudge isn't it <laughs> I guess it, I, I'm pretty certain he was rated one three nine for yeah. the, the weeks for the weeks leading into this, and they've literally just licked their finger, put it up in the air, and said, "I will make him as good as Frankel, will we?" And found another pound. Not the first time they've fudged one this season, and um, they did the same with Baid. There was it after Royal Ascot, where he basically did the exact same thing that he did at Newbury, and they, they pulled a few more pounds out of, out of their hat to yeah. um, to, yeah. to to kind of feed into the you know the the world's best narrative, etc. Um, yeah. so, so, so these fellas aren't be, aren't beyond the fudge as well. <laughs> move on, move on. Give him another it pound. Does, it does. It doesn't matter. I just find, no. find it and find the music. Give him another pound, <laughs> and we'll all talk about it on a podcast. And here we are. Because, um, because you, you, but let's... you do remember there was a case um, going back. Uh, it, it was around the time of Frankel actually, when Frankel's rating well, it was as high as it was, and it was. Um, it, it was still wasn't quite as high as wasn't a dancing brave possibly, and to the point where the handicappers went back and retro, retro, retrospectively dealt with dancing braves rating again. And when they asked around and did a bit of digging, they came. And this is on public record. They they found out that dancing braves like I'm open to the correction in the minor details now. The dancing braves like all time high rating was essentially a going away gift to one of the handicappers that was retiring that year. Like, oh, you're retiring, you're retiring this year, Johnny. We'll, we'll give you the best of all time. That's a great, whatever it was. One, one, four, three. So there is, there is historical, this historical this evidence of fudging. <laughs> You'd have thought it. Um, let's move on. Apparently, we've got to mention an Irish breakaway. United Irish Racecourse Group, TCI. I know nothing about this, so you can flesh this out. We're looking at a breakaway group with the smaller Irish racecourses involving five of them, I believe. Yeah, five tracks want more transparency about media money in Ireland. Um, so they've formed a breakaway group. They are Kilbegan, Limerick, Roscommon, Fells, and Sligo. Um, Burles. Burles, sorry. Uh, so they're looking for, you know, to maybe, you know, create their own deal away from that, whether or not that, that means a breakaway to uh, 
Sky Sports Racing or financial, you know, just, just you know, financial crowbar trying to get some more cash for them. I don't know, but that that's that hasn't been played out in the media, surprisingly, which absolutely yeah, it was it was, the, it was the front page of the Irish Field yeah, this week, really I mean. and and this has um th- this has come up before, like this was raised in um in one of the Oireachtas hearings during the summer. Um, about the, the lack of transparency. The smaller tracks haven't been happy for quite some time. You know, it's quite funny because in Britain, the, one of the main complaints that many of the interest groups have is that the race courses keep the finer details of the, the media rights incomes to themselves, whereas in Ireland, it seems plenty of the tracks don't even know <laughs> what, the, what the breakdowns are of the money they're getting. And um, and hey, look, they're, they're standing up um, they, and this, this, would, this wouldn't be going down well at all in the, the corridors of power in Ireland, because, um, you know, the, the Irish tracks have always been united. They've always gone to, to the negotiating table as a united group. And um, the possibility of a split here would, would be causing consternation, I'd imagine. Um, that's what happens in the UK. It's always been, you know, tracks have the right to do their own thing independently. Many of them do. Others get into various um, groups and ownership groups, etc. Um, but, hey, I think they've got a free shot here. You know, stand up. Um, if it means they can causing a bit of a kerfuffle gets them a better deal, you know, good for them. And, and if they were to split, um, there, there would arguably be plenty of upside for them. They'd get a they'd get a much greater focus um, than they do now, um, arguably on racing TV. Um, it might even suit racing TV. It might declutter some of some of their schedule. And uh, I, I I think it would be quite interesting there. I say playing devil's advocate. So yeah, watch this space, see how it pans out. Breakaway group. Um, should we move on to question time? I think we yeah. probably should. We've got good questions, and we're going to start off with a bit of focus around Dublin Racing Festival. AK Bets 87 and Paul have put in good questions. Uh, AK Bets 87 asks Should UK racing be worried about the amount of true racing fans opting for reasonably pl- priced quality at Leopardstown for the Dublin Racing Festival over the overpriced and uncompetitive snooze fest in the Cotswolds in March? Um, and Paul has asked, with the dilution of the Cheltenham Festival and smaller fields, etc., how long before the Dublin Racing Festival becomes the dominant and go-to spring festival? So a bit of focus here on Leopardstown. Um, music to my ears. I love the meeting at Leopardstown and the bigger it gets, the better. I think it adds um, a bit of competitiveness to the whole, as AK Bet says, um, what do you call it? Uncompetitive snooze fest that is the Cheltenham Festival. Um, do you think we could ever see a place where the Dublin Racing Festival is the go-to spring festival, TC? No, I think not in the immediate future. But this that question got a lot of love on Twitter. Um, and a lot of people agreed with it. A lot of people come out and said about Cheltenham, how expensive it is. And that's before about the quality of race going. Uh, you know, queuing up at bars, queuing up for toys, etc. So, I'm sure Irish racing has has its own uh, challenges as well. But yeah, I mean, I, I love Cheltenham, but I absolutely hate the build up to it. You know, it's an industry, isn't it? From September onwards, um, and it's it just become very tiresome. I'm really looking forward to the four days at Cheltenham in March. But um, like I said, I'd rather we just like teleported me there now to the to the Tuesday morning rather than. Uh-huh a lot of this nonsense that I uh, I read and hear about uh, incessantly. But 
Yeah, um, the one thing about the Dublin Racing Festival is it's kind of like, you know, Willie's likely to run a lot of his horses against each other in, in the two mile, in all the races to try and find his, his Cheltenham pecking order. So in some respects, it is more interesting from uh from a from from that perspective rather than rather than Cheltenham on the day where they will he will duck and dive and divert horses so yeah uh as, as an informative uh festival uh and a quality festival even more about only minimal um minimal British investment um yeah I, I I'm a big fan of it okay big fan we like that um Jimmy Justice has asked is it time for horse racing media to cover the threat of affordability checks in a factual and balanced way who wants to start I, with this one? well I, I do this quickly because I've got some firm views about this I, I actually I actually went back to him on this um and privately and um it's I look don't get me wrong it's a massive, massive problem. And uh, I said on the show about three or four weeks ago what happened to me last summer where my account was shut out of the blue. It took me nine days to actually contact them because bizarrely, when, when firms shut your account, they don't even give you a number to ring. So I was sending emails, threatening legal letters, canvassing everyone in the industry to try to find out what was going on. I eventually got hold of them um after sending an email threatening illegal action and they got in touch with me and said sorry we've been busy after Cheltenham uh, and these are you just shutting accounts will in any with four figures in it so I know exactly where people are coming from and it is a massive threat but the lack of the lack of balance on the likes of racing tv and the racing post on this is absolutely mind-boggling now they've got a case they, they've got a case to make and they're making it but the, the thing about it is they're not giving any balance to the argument and if you keep on bashing the gambling commission on this, they're going to be more and more entrenched. You aren't going to get any debate or dialogue going with them if you are just going, you're idiots, you don't know what you're talking about, etc. You've got to kind of like be a bit more kind of like cute about it. I mean, the Racing Post couldn't be more obvious about this. And uh, and obviously, I know we, we're a bit stretched for time here, so I'll, I'll, I'll cut it off there. But what what's the biggest irony about this is, you know, people are being wheeled out. I mean, irony is dead. We've got Harry Finley being wheeled out now uh, about affordability checks. Uh, and and you, any number of people are coming out, train, any number of associations. It's it's all suddenly, uh, suddenly the media have suddenly appeared that betting is important and racing doesn't exist without betting. You know, it's a belated kind of like call to arms uh, from them. But yeah, I mean, I've, I, I just think if there was more balance in the debate, and they were more welcoming to the gambling commission. They'll get them around the table. As it is, the gambling commission will not. And I don't think for one moment that they're, a, a, you know, a, a particularly impressive organisation. But if you are, if you keep on telling someone they're an idiot, you don't know what you're talking about. You aren't going to, you aren't going to win them over. You aren't, you aren't going to get them around the table, are you? I think, I think the coverage has been counterproductive and naive and too late. Okay. Uh, Max Bradley has asked, are there any races at the Cheltenham Festival that the team feel would benefit from being run on the other course, e.g. old course versus new course, Kev? Oh, it wouldn't be one for me now. Uh, yeah, you, you can make arguments. You, know, you can make arguments for plenty, but kind of they are what they are, aren't they? The, 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 well, the old course is sharper. So a lot of people were responding to this on, on Twitter as well, saying um, more... It, it, a, a change of tracks would suit more horses. I mean, they would just think, for example, if they switch tracks on at Cheltenham for the Gold Cup, for example, it would, 
it would uh, maybe entice some horses away from from the Ryanair, so that might not be. Yeah, a just just move them all to Leopardstown, lads, and get over with it. That'll be, that'll be grand. That'll suit a lot of horses. Uh, okay, right. Final question, guys. This is from Kevin Carter, who asked. This may sound like a ridiculous question, but I'm new to the sport. Why don't we race all winter on all weather type surface rather than grass? Can you jump onto Peter? Yeah, I said it before. They, they tried all weather jumping like 30 years ago, and it was, it was relatively short lived. Um, there was a view that, that that horses and riders were getting hurt potentially because there was no natural slide in it. But um, look, surfaces have come a long way since. Um, pretty much every trainer schools on all weather surfaces. I'd be all in favour to give it another go and see how it works out because uh, the weather does cause an awful lot of carnage as we're as we've learned in recent months. Right. Might be something for the future. We can look forward to Kevin. Welcome to the sport. If you're new to it, like you say you are. Uh, it's great. Yeah, great. Like this, this, this podcast hasn't exactly been full of for you. But anyway, hopefully, hopefully we'll jolly along in time. Um, that about wraps up the show. Thank you guys for listening and watching as always. Thanks to Kevin and Tony for their contributions. Join us again on Thursday for Racing Only Better, where fingers crossed, weather permitting, we will be looking ahead to that bumper nine race card at Cheltenham, among other races. Can't wait for that. But for now, enjoy your week. And yeah, join us again on Thursday. That was Wade In, ladies and gents. <laughs>